Hello and welcome to the latest Royal Roundup from Talk TV. So, pop the kettle on. This is the Royal Tea. I'm Sarah Houston. Coming up today, Prince Harry in court with accusations that both the government and the media are at rock bottom. Baby joy for Princess Eugenie and the King gives up his Welsh home. Joining me to discuss that and lots more are Royal Commentator and Talk TV regular Afia Hagen, the Royal Editor of the Evening Standard Robert Jobson and Royal Commentator and Talk TV host Daisy McAndrew. Thanks to all of you uh, for being here. Now, Prince Harry's appearance in the witness box at the Royal Courts of Justice is the first for a senior member of the royal family since 1891, when the then Prince of Wales, the future King Edward VII, was called to give evidence in the royal Baccarat scandal about cheating at cards. Uh, Afia, let's start with you on the spectre of seeing Prince Harry, the son of the king, in the witness box in Court 15. I mean, courts of justice. I mean, it's quite something, isn't it? I, when you see the amount of press that are outside the court, have been since yesterday, uh, to see him arrive. You had even, you know, people that work in the court hanging out their windows. To see, you know, someone who's in the royal family take that witness stand, it really, really is something. Uh, definitely different from cheating at cards, I will give you that, um, but absolutely quite a spectacle. And he is... You know, he's he's giving, a, I don't want to say performance, that's not what it is. He's very cool, calm and collected. He seems relaxed as he's going into court each day, you know, greeting reporters with good morning, uh, answering the questions as much as he can uh, as the case he drills into the detail. Um, I think maybe yesterday there was a hint of jet lag. Today he seems more relaxed and more emboldened, I think, on day two in court, um, a bit more confident. Started with a good morning, Mr Green, in a very yeah, jovial, kind of sort of confident almost, way. Yeah, interrupted uh, Mr Green, who had already sort of came in with his line of questioning. Um, you know, and he seems a lot more confident on day two than he did on, on day one, certainly. Robert, what do you make of his demeanour? Because this is very different, isn't it, to a, to a cosy chat in the garden with Oprah Winfrey. He doesn't have control of the narrative, but he has kept himself under control. Well, he's a guy who's nearly 40. I mean, I'm sure most people can control themselves in a courtroom. But... I don't know. I think it would be quite intimidating. Yeah. No, I mean, so far, he's, got... he's the guy bringing the action. He would have been trained to do this by his, his, body, by his, um, his lawyer, who we understand was the one who asked him to get involved in this case in the first time, in the first place. The reality is that they would have gone through this and practised it. It's not as if he's coming to it first. This is the first experience he would have had of being posed with tricky questions. So he'd have rehearsed it. And um, I actually thought the first day was pretty poor. I thought he contradicted himself quite a lot. It may have been the jet lag. But as I say, this is a guy bringing the case. Um, it's, his, it's his case against the newspaper. So I would have thought that the contradictions would have been ironed out in all the practices beforehand. Uh, Daisy, as we're recording this, he's just coming to the end yeah. of his... <clears throat> second day of evidence. What have you made of his performance? I mean, halfway through yesterday, I thought he, just like Robert, I thought there's a lot of contradictions. He's being easily uh, picked apart uh, by Mr Green, uh, the, the, the KC. Actually, when you compare what his witness statement said to um, what he was saying on the stand, 
with hindsight, I think he's done better than I thought he had been doing at the beginning. And just picking up on Robert's point, actually, he won't have been coached by his lawyers. You're not allowed to coach in these types of cases in English law. It's completely forgiven. It's not like in America where you watch suits. Yeah, you know, make... through the entire 55-page document. No, you can go through the evidence. Yeah, of course, so, you, I mean, you, you know, cannot you, you be should be aware of what you're going to say yes, it was. before and, you go in. And, and this is his obsession. This is Harry's obsession. Yeah. So it's not like being forced to do his homework on something that he doesn't want to do. This is you know, his messianic mission to, to bring down the tabloid press. And that witness statement, actually, he was picked up on, wasn't he, by Andrew Green, Casey, who's representing the Mirror, who said, well, actually, is this produced by your legal team and you've just signed your name to it? And he was adamant, no, this is yeah, my work. Because that was a trick question. If he had, if he, Harry, had given any indication that the words weren't his, his legal team would be in big trouble because yeah. they are not allowed to write the witness statement also. And that's one of the things that uh, when Andrew Green um, was fighting the Her Depp case, that's the thing he got Johnny Depp on really bad in Johnny Depp fell into that trap, Harry didn't fall into that trap. Except for he didn't know what was in his own own statement in detail. Well, like, like... And he contradicted himself on a number of occasions. And when asked about... did I, mean, I think there were a couple of key things here. I mean, evidence, I know, is a lot lower level uh, in a civil case. But, you know, if you don't know... If you're actually saying on the stand that you don't know if the uh, your phone was hacked and when... I think that does actually cause a bit a few problems. I mean, I think that in I mean, out his of all answer of, to that is he, he can't produce the evidence because it was destroyed, yeah, and yeah. and he's gone back and said, "Well, my legal team, yeah, I mean, know that or ask the journalists." Those have been his responses. Yeah. You know. Those questions. Uh, and that's okay. the problem with the basis of this case is that it's on you know the legal term inference, which is basically two plus two equals. Mm. So so that that's is right. that that is the problem that Harry has, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he was I have a grudging respect for the the effort he's been willing to go to. You know, he is like a dog with a bone with with this issue. Every other person has settled for very valid reasons. Mm -hmm. You have to have never-endingly deep pockets mm. not yeah. to settle, because if he loses this case, he has to pay the mirror's legal fees. The risk is huge. And, but and you describe it as messianic, once, because yeah, actually... One these, yeah. One of these stories. Exactly. One story out of what? Exactly. I think it was, you know... 33. 33. Originally, it was 140. Know, it was thousands before, yeah. was it, when they first yeah. went through? And yeah. So you only have to be right once or for the judge to believe... That it's a moral that victory. A, that yeah. there is a victory there. So, you know, the chances are he'll probably, you know... We'll have to wait and see, but what the about, chances are they'll win it. What about this claim against about the government's mm. uh, affair? Because the, the general convention mm -hmm. protocol is a member of the royal family does not stray into politics. And this was a, a direct criticism of Rishi Sunak's administration. Mm. Prince Harry is a disruptor, and he absolutely doesn't care um, that he is, you know, upending the way that things have been done for so long. He's absolutely here to give us his opinion. You know, he's not a working royal, so he doesn't necessarily see himself as, um, you know, tied to the same conventions that perhaps Prince William or the King would be. And, you know, this is his opportunity to say what he really thinks. And he was very scathing and very disparaging about the government and about UK media and UK press, you know, saying a country is judged by the state of its government and by its press and both are at rock bottom. And to be honest, you know, a lot of people will agree with, with that statement. Whether or not you agree with what he's doing, a lot of people will probably hear that statement and think he's, he's kind of got a point there. Do you feel any sympathy for him, Robert, when you listen to his evidence? Because 
Andrew Green uh, for The Mirror has expressed sympathy on a number of occasions that Harry has lived through a life of media intrusion. And, you know, stories like James Hewitt and Harry says in his witness statement he didn't even know until 2014 that his mother hadn't met James Hewitt until after he was born and he felt like well, the media I mean, were trying to sow these stories to get him ousted from the royal family. nonsense because the reality is that his mother had spoken to him about this before. I wrote about it in my book with Ken Wolfe in 2002. He did know that she hadn't met him until after... Uh, uh, you know, that she hadn't met James Hewitt until after he was born. So that isn't true. So, I mean, I do have sympathy with anybody that experiences any form of um, media intrusion. I mean, it must, I must have a laugh because as I was arriving at the court myself, um, he was arriving in his um, uh, blacked-out windows of, the, of his, um, his, his car and these two builders in front of me said, that guy's taking pictures of you as you arrive at the court. And it was his two bodyguards. So... You know, shock horror. Maybe I would worry about my own intrusion, but the reality is... He did have is, a few words about you in yeah. court. Well, he well, did, and it was, so that was nonsense as well. To sit there and say that a guy that's been awarded by... As I've covered this story since he was five, and I broke the story that Charles and Camilla were to get married, of which, of which I won Scoop of the Year, and I've been recognised by my peers as, a, as an expert in the field, I thought that was a cheap shot. And actually, you know, I'm not going to sit there and whinge about it because it's his opinion, but the reality is most of the, all the stories that I've written... You know, I've been proven to be true. So I, I don't... I find that sort of swiping within the court uh, a little bit cheap. He does have a very difficult relationship with the tabloid press. We know that. He admits that. Yeah. What he's got to do here, though, Daisy, is take it away from being a, a vendetta in general against the tabloid media and get into the specifics. Exactly, which I think anybody who's read his book would think it's an impossible task mm. for him to take the emotion out of this because it is all emotion. This is a man who blames the paparazzi and tabloid media for the death of his mother, the death of his unborn child, the breakdown in his relationship with his father and his brother, the reason, as he sees it, why he had to leave his own country. I mean, that is a list of you know, accusations that it would break most people. So, and, and even his therapist said to him, as he said in his book, that he was addicted to the press and addicted to his hatred of mm. the press. So he has some, some real... Uh, mental health difficulties when dealing with the press. And, and so I can't see well, that's how That's really he... relevant, I would have thought, in this case. Well, he does but talk think... about the distress that he felt looking mm. back over the stories and again in court. He said, it, it distresses me now. I mean, it's a Although he also case. said he hadn't read... Them in, originally. The so, you know, you, you, there's a lot of contradictions in his evidence. Uh, Afia, in terms of what we've learnt, new elements that we've learnt yeah. in this case, what stands out for you? Gosh... Um, I think, for me, what stands out, the comments about Paul Burrell, you know, how he, how they addressed him. We know there was no A love lost. A two-faced bleep. Yes, which we don't have to say. But we know there was no love lost between uh, Princess Harry and William and Paul Burrell, how they described him, how they talked about him. Um, also, I think that the psychological damage that clearly has been done by these stories being printed, the breakdown of his relationship with Chelsea Davy. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, you know, they were very, very private. They weren't talking to any friends about, you know, how they were conducting themselves, whether they were together or not, whether they'd broken up or not. And, you know, how so how did those stories get into the press and how it being attributed to friends meant that 
their, his relationship with his friends broke down. The personal ramifications of what he is alleging are huge. Daisy, there was one point where he said that in all of his relationships, there was a, a third party, and that was the media. It was almost a bit reminiscent of the three people mm. in this marriage, albeit yeah, being the media yeah. rather than Camilla in this case. Uh, of his parents. And, I mean, I think that is a similar story for many very high-profile people, that they find having relationships very difficult. It does put a very big strain on relationships, and it's one of the reasons why you'll see many, many Hollywood celebrities or, you know, very famous people end up going out with or, end, or you know, marrying equally famous people because they're almost the only people who can understand what that world is like and what that media intrusion is like. Hence people thought that Meghan was the perfect because person. Because she, she'd she already, already had, had a, taste, a profile. A taste for it. it, it exactly. And I think it's also fascinating with this case, trying to work out what Harry's endgame is. Of course, he says he wants to reform the media landscape. But actually, specifically, it has had significant reforms in this country. Post-Leveson, there were big reforms. Before that, there was another big tranche of reforms. So I think the first thing he wants is he wants to win a case. He wants to bloody the nose of his opponent. And that's this is his first real opportunity to do it. Beyond that, I'd be interested to know really what the end game is. What do you think the end game is, Robert? I mean, he talks about this big crusade, doesn't he? He talks about press reform, changing the relationships between the media, the royal family, the government? It's getting a lot of publicity at the moment. I think 10 years down the line, um, you know, he'll be pretty much forgotten. Um, I don't think that he's going to win any great crusade against the British media, particularly as he lives in LA. Um, I, I think that it'll become less and less, less and less relevant. He likes to be relevant. He likes to be centre stage. This has given him that opportunity. Um, but uh, will he change anything? I very much doubt it. It'll be interesting to see what it does to his popularity. We all do a significant <laughs> amount of coverage, not in this country for British audience, but, but globally. And that's very interesting to see how he's perceived and received yeah. mm -hmm. uh, across the world. And we know there's a big demographic difference between, you know, he has much, he has many more younger fans than he does older fans. And many people have been asking me this week, what's this doing to his popularity in the United States or in the Commonwealth or around the world? And it's kind of too early to tell. Yeah. I think if he wins this case, and obviously we won't know that for a number of weeks, I think that will do something for his popularity within a certain group of people, because people will think, here is something he set out to do and he succeeded in doing it. Now, while Harry is in court in the UK, over in the United States, a conservative think tank, the Heritage Foundation, is trying to get his immigration records released to show whether or not he lied on his visa application form. Uh, I fear this is all about whether he admitted to taking drugs, and it follows the publication of his book, Spare, and the revelations mm -hmm. in that. Absolutely, where he talked about quite openly the amount of drugs that he'd taken uh, before he decided to go off to the, the US. Now, this is because he is has applied for a residence visa, not just for a visit. And when you do the form, obviously, you have to declare these things. So the question is, did he declare it? Did he say, yes, I have taken drugs, and they bent the rules to give him the visa, or... Did he not declare it, lied on the visa application form, and therefore got it? Either way, actually, I don't know which one would be better for him, but either way, it does not look good if this you know, request goes through, if the FBI manages to somehow get this document released... It's not going to be good either way. I think this actually might be one battle that Prince Harry cannot win. 
Uh, Robert, there have been previous celebrities who've been denied access to the United yeah. States after Pete filling Doherty, in. Pete Nigella, Doherty. Lawson. Nigella Lawson had to jump yeah. through multiple legal hoops to eventually get in. <laughs> well, anyone who's if, if, just, just got to hope, I think, that the US immigration um, guy that's let him through the through hasn't read Spare, which is probably unlikely, because actually they could stop him there and question him there at the uh, at the gate and say, you said this, is this... What, deny true? entry? They could deny entry on, on evidence in. from his book, actually. Um, if, if that's the case, that would be a hell of a story, but particularly when he's coming back from here. But so far, it doesn't seem to have happened. I mean, I think the Heritage um, Group have got a bit of an axe to grind. They're a right-wing group. They've had articles written against him. I don't think anything will happen. He's a high-profile guy that the Americans won't want to cause a, a trouble. He's got enough friends in high places um, to avoid it. But it does... I mean, I think we raised this when we first looked at Spare and we thought, very odd that he's coming out with all this. But the, the likelihood now, when he's got, um, you know, two children over there, his wife's over there, of him being refused is very unlikely. I and, I mean, it does raise the question, though, was he naive, was he foolish, was he ill-advised to put this out there yeah. in print? Although some people are suggesting, and I think this does have some credence, that uh, the writing of the book and the bringing of the court case are in some ways part of the same story because he knows one of the main reasons why people settle is partly because of the financial risk, but it's also because of the personal risk of the type of things you will have to answer under mm. oath when you're on the stand. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if he had written in the book, never touched a drug in my life, and mm. then the, the KC had said, well, actually, you know, these newspaper journalists had evidence that you've taken drugs. He's then under oath to admit it. Mm. So, actually, in some ways, much better to get it all out the there. The said he'd taken drugs. I mean, he... he yes, but... It was but, all out there, wasn't but it? But we didn't yeah. know about the mushrooms in... Yeah. Whose fridge was it? Um, the, the, it was Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox. Courtney, Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox. You know, th th there were bits we didn't know about. And so I... I well, that would have happened whilst he was on a visa... But, you know, exactly. coming on a visa. So when he wasn't... Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but you can see there is a benefit to get it all out in the open before you're asked about it in court. So you can just shrug your shoulders and say, old news, I've written about that myself. Yeah. Now, some <laughs> happy news for the royal family this week and for Prince Harry's cousin, Eugenie, because she and her husband, Jack Brooksbank, have had a baby boy, a second son, Ernest George Ronnie Brooksbank. Where does the name come from, Rob? <laughs> well, it's all to do with his um, grand, his grand, uh, acknowledging his grandfathers. The one thing I quite liked there was, um, I mean, his older brother August uh, acknowledged Prince Philip, but they've acknowledged Major Ron there, there because I knew him. Sarah many Ferguson's years, Sarah father. Father, I and mean, when we used to go down to the polo to basically watch and see if the then Prince Charles would fall off. Um, he was always very generous. He used to serve out the champagne. He was a lovely guy and. Uh, I always found him great company. So it was good to see his name acknowledged uh, in that. And George, I think, George Jack goes, Brooksbank's grandfather. Yeah, and also... As well. And oh, Jack name. Brooksbank's yeah. father, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. His, and, then, and then pretty much yeah. George V. Yeah, yeah as well. well. they can throw that one in anyway. Yeah. Or, or sixth, <laughs> or, and George or fifth, yeah. Yes. Um, and lovely photographs. Uh, yeah, released. super cute photographs. Um you know, and it is all about social media now, isn't it, these days? I mean, that's the way that they chose to announce the birth. I mean, really cute photographs of all you there as well as a big brother. And, you know, I think releasing them on Instagram as they did just shows sort of how important 
social media now is when it comes to the royal family. I was going to say, controlling the narrative is a phrase we've used a lot. And we remember when Archie was born, and there was such a fuss and palaver about you know when and if the photographs might might be released. Well, it does make me. I don't keep bringing things back to Harry, but it does make me think: Is Harry going to find time to go and see his second cousin? Are they second cousins? What's the relationship? Says his first cousin's. Baby, I'm hopeless at working it, out. I think you get removed. First cousin once removed. Is that what yeah. it was? Yeah, I get But they get on very well. They get on very well. I'm sure he will. I'm, I'm sure, sure he, he will, will, yeah. And the announcement Daisy was made on social media, and they did have quite a few days uh, after his birth on May the 30th, before it was announced at the beginning of this uh, week. And then we got a lovely response from Granny, yeah. Fergie, on uh, social media, quoting the importance of being earnest. <laughs> yes, very, very <laughs> cute. And, of course, um, Fergie has brought out uh, this new podcast and usually has already had her own podcast, not as personal, I think, but, again, the sort of, you know, mother following in the in the daughter's footsteps and getting in on the podcast. Yeah. And podcast is such a royal thing now, isn't yeah. it? You know, we've seen uh, Mike Tyndall, his podcast is really successful. We all know about Archetypes, um, Megan's podcast. But it's interesting that the royals have really grabbed the podcast as a way that they feel they can talk directly mm -hmm. without any filter or without perhaps any misinterpretation or misunderstandings to whoever they want to talk to. Now, we yeah. talked about... Tea Talks, Fergie's new podcast yeah. on the last episode, but it hadn't come out at the time of recording. Now you've had a chance to listen to it. What do you make of it? I mean, it wasn't as potentially explosive as I thought. You know, is that the point? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think she just kind of wanted to appear that she was just kind of normal. I'm just kind of normal, and I'm looking for love, and you know that kind of thing. I the, the thing is, I'm, I'm in two minds here. Did I want to hear about Prince Andrew? No, but also yes at the same <laughs> time. It's kind of a weird... Um, but, you know, there was no kind of explanation as to why it was late. Maybe they just had some editing issues. I mean, it was just kind of okay. It wasn't... It, I think it's fine if you just like two women chatting, which essentially it is, um, and chatting about themselves and their lives. It wasn't really explosive. It didn't really give me anything completely new. She did you know? reveal a couple of things about her personality, that she's shy. That she's shy, she's an introvert. Which many people watching from the outside might not realise, that yeah. she trusts too, too easily. many people. Yeah. She's a nice lady. I mean, I've known her for many years, and I think that she's always been a very kind person and maybe a bit overly trusting, but ultimately I think most people forgive her because she's genuinely a nice person. Mm. And why do you think she's doing it? Well, yeah. she's got to keep her name out there, hasn't she? She's got... Books to sell, she's got things to do. So her husband and always... ex-husband who doesn't have an income anymore. And yeah, she's about to lose yeah. her home, potentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's Royal Lodge. I think that's yeah. going to happen at some stage, yeah. Talking of losing home. Well, she does have another one in London that was bought. Wasn't oh, it? yes, I remember that. Mm. Mm. Talking of losing homes, uh, the King has given up one of his uh, this week. His Welsh home... I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it. Anyone here want to go? I'm good. Um, <laughs> now, he's given up his property in Wales because it's reverted, is that right, Robert, to, to the, the Duchy, Duchy of Cornwall, yeah. and yeah. William said he's not going to use it. Yes, in a way, I, I mean, the king actually went there after the death of his father and was where he was um, writing all his letters and uh, back to people that went to him, and they found it as a great place of solace, actually. So, in a way, I, I think he probably... Sad that he's given it up, but he does have rather a lot of homes that he can mm. go to. It's not as if he's lacking on the homes front.
-hmm. Gordon Rayner did a piece in The Telegraph over the weekend. We did a, a whole spread of the 12 yeah. properties. When you see it all down on paper, it is quite startling. And I think this is something, you know, we all know this is something that... Um, as Prince Charles, he was very occupied with the thought of um, slimming down the royal family, not just in human beings, in working uh, members of the royal family, but in properties as well, because that is something that gets up people's noses, mm. particularly in the cost of living crisis, particularly when we've had a change um, of monarch. People sort of would turn a blind eye to things under the Queen's reign because they they forgave a lot because of that residual affection for her. And well, I mean, a lot of them are his... I mean, in, and and the Queen was on the throne for 70 years, so over that time he built up his own... Yeah. Property portfolio and things, places like Dumfries House, he did a terrific job in saving what was a property that was going to be lost. Yeah. But I mean, look um, at Scotland. You, you mentioned yeah. Dumfries House. There's Balmoral, there's yeah, Burke Hall. Privately owned by the king. Yeah. yeah. There's Burke Hall, um, which is his beloved home there. Which really, really where, is where he stays, yeah. There's Holyrood House. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is official. There's the Castle of May. Which was the Queen Mother's. And I mean, that's five I've got to Which so was far. essentially like a museum most of the year. Yeah, but did you get, get up to five? I've got five in Scotland. Yeah, like five Scotland. in Scotland. I mean, that's... Yeah, but, they're not, but, they're, but what I'm saying is that Dumfries House is the second biggest employer in the area. And he and saved he, he that for the nation, yeah, didn't In terms yeah. of what he was doing there and what's achieved there. With you some go up to that area, of uh, you, people would will just have nothing but praise from the local taxi drivers to the local restaurants. And, and Balmoral could well, be more well, I, opened I, I, up more I to the public. Well, I suspect, unless William is keen to keep that as a, um, a property going forward, that that could end up as a museum, you know, because mm. essentially it's, it's so associated with both the two great queens of Victoria and Elizabeth but it's more associated with them, really. And, of course, that's something that people have been saying about Buckingham Palace over um, over Sarah's right shoulder. But that comes with its own complications, comes with quite significant financial uh, implications. If you do... You can't just turn something into a museum mm. at the click of a finger. It, it takes quite a lot of financial investment to try to make to that it. more of a... At least not just a museum, because a museum has that, that sense of a dustiness and, you know, dinosaurs, whatever, doesn't it? But to try and make it a, 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 a more of a, a national place of celebration, I think that's I mean, what they're going to hope for. I mean, what, what, what you could do is capitalise on the amount of tourists that are going to go there and, you know, turn it into maybe not necessarily a museum, but a proper tourist attraction. I think people would really buy into that. Obviously, there's so much renovation well, they, done. Well, one of the suggestions is... pay for itself. Well, one of the suggestions is the reason why he doesn't do at the moment what the Queen did, which is, you know, Sandringham Christmas, Windsor for Easter Court, Balmoral in the summer so much. He seems to be moving around more between well, more these properties. Than the Queen was, is that he knows why. that his presence there generates interest in them, keeps yeah. them relevant, and yeah. then that brings but in I think the tourists. Yes. Has been, there's been so much public money spent on it, but it is it's like the White House, it's like the, you know, it's 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 a thing, it's a, a very important national symbol. I think that what will happen is will, the king will have continued to be there and to work from there, but there will be more, it'll be open more and there'll be more events. I mean, you only have to look at the amount of receptions that are going on there. Mm. I mean, in one day there were, I mean, there's you know, two a day mm, sometimes. Yeah. So they are using it more and more as a public a way of networking for events and mm. for promoting Great Britain PLC. And, and Windsor Castle being used for these kind of dine and stay type events. I mean, we saw one before the coronation concert, didn't mm -hmm. we? We had... Lionel Richie and Katy Perry mm. given a bed at Windsor Castle 
uh, for the night. But all of these things... All night long. Yeah, all very good, <laughs> very good. All of these things are expensive. You know, yeah. that is, and so when we get to see the spending, uh, you know, at the end of the, the Royal Financial well, I mean, Year, that will be very interesting. Huge, it's huge amount of money has been spent, so they have to... It has to be a royal residence, really. And I think it will continue to be so. Before we finish, one, one of the properties we haven't mentioned is in Transylvania, yeah. which is where the king yeah. spent yeah. A, a few days over the weekend yeah. mm -hmm. and into uh, this week. Well, what, what's the connection? Well, he's been going there for many, many years. Uh, loves the, he, he loves the place. He loves the, the natural environment. He loves the food. He likes the people. And uh, he's, he goes every year. He goes amongst the people he goes with his um, Princess Margaret's son, uh, Lord Snowden. And he, um, and I think that he, he can truly relax there. He's, he always does a bit of um, he'll meet the president, which he did, yeah. and then he'll go off to Transylvania, and um, it's just a place where he can truly relax. He yeah. made uh, he made what was obviously a very personal speech out there, which which you know when you read a speech and you can hear his voice, and sometimes you read it and you think you know that's been written by a bunch mm. of flunkies and, and, and just read it out. And his, his personal affection for the country really shone, really yeah. shone I went through. with him once to, yeah. on a, an official visit before he went out there and he was dancing with the, doing the traditional dancing. Like, you know, it's a place, everyone's got a place they like to go and relax and well, he did him look, it's Romania, yeah. He did re look relaxed a bit, didn't he? Oh, the photo absolutely. with the binoculars around his neck and doing a bit of bird spotting. I or... mean, it looks like it is his happy place, a place where he likes to go and relax. I mean, Transylvania, it does sound a bit scary. Obviously, well, it's not. he is related to Vlad the um, Impaler, isn't he? Yeah, Just... and <laughs> it's clearly a place Queen where Mother, he, Queen, he, he Queen likes Mary, to go and kick back. And maybe a good distraction while his son Absolutely. is up in the uh, High Court. Uh, that is all we've got time for on The Royalty this week. We will be back with lots more royal news next week. We hope you can join us then. Thank you.